Humans in History, the bite-sized birthday biography podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Mira. This is a daily podcast which shines a spotlight on a person born on this day at some point in history somewhere in the world who made a positive, lasting impact. Today, October 28th, we're going to celebrate the birth and life of Edith Head. She was born on this day in 1897. Whenever I get to do anyone that's associated with old Hollywood on this show, I get extra excited. So talking about one of my favorite designers of the golden era is about as good as it gets in terms of research. I've been obsessed with Edith's work ever since I saw her couture on Grace Kelly in To Catch a Thief. Aside from being Hitchcock's best movie, in my opinion, Grace's wardrobe in that is straight up goals. I will post some of those outfits on the Instagram page today. So Edith designed for everyone who was anyone back then. Aside from Grace Kelly, here are just a fraction of the stars that she dressed. Mae West, Dorothy L'Amour, Paleka Dard, Barbara Stanwyck, Ginger Rogers, Ingrid Bergman, Betty Davis, Hedy Lamar, Liz Taylor, Audrey Hepburn, Lauren Bacall, Kim Novak, Rita Hayworth, Lana Turner, Marlena Dietrich, Sophia Loren, Julie Andrews, Doris Day, Joan Crawford, and Katherine Hepburn. She also designed for men as well, including Clark Gable, Fred Astaire, Danny Kaye, Rock Hudson, John Wayne, Steve Martin, and Elvis Presley. She also won eight Academy Awards for costume design, more than any other designer ever. So enough preamble, let's just get into the life of designer to the stars, Edith Head. So Edith was born to Jewish parents, Max and Anna Levy in San Bernardino, California. Dad was a naturalized German citizen and mom had been born in Missouri, but her parents had been uh, of Bavarian and Austrian heritage. The marriage was not a good one and they divorced when Edith was pretty young. When she was eight, her mom remarried a mining engineer named Frank Spare and his job caused the family to have to move quite a bit. It seems that Max kind of disappeared from Edith's life at this point and Anna and Frank just started to tell everyone that Edith was their biological child. Edith was a really good student throughout school, and she was accepted into UC Berkeley, where she got a BA with honors in French, before moving on to Stanford, where she got a master's in Romance Languages. She taught French in La Jolla for a year, and then she moved over to the Hollywood School for Girls to teach French. The pay wasn't great, and the more classes you taught, the higher your pay grade was, so she fibbed a little bit and said that she could teach art as well. But her art skills were not actually strong, so she ended up taking night classes to kind of bone up and at least appear like a legit art teacher. In 1923, she married Charles Head, the brother of her classmate, Betty. Their marriage kind of dissolved into a drawn-out separation for a few years, and then they officially divorced in 1938. She kept the last name Head even after she married her second husband, art director Weard Eihen, in 1940, and they stayed together until he died in 1979. So back to the year that she married Charles, 1924. So Edith applies for and was offered a job as a costume sketch artist at Paramount. At this time, she had zero costume design experience, no art training, and much of her sample sketchbook was actually borrowed from her friend. But this was the door that she needed to walk through, and she did. Her first job was designing the costumes for the 1925 silent picture The Wanderer, starring Tyrone Power. Her designs were a huge hit, and by 1930, she was one of the most sought-after designers in Hollywood. During the 30s, she worked on the terribly sexy pre-code She Done Him Wrong with Mae West and Cary Grant, as well as the 1936 Jungle Princess, starring Dorothy L'Amour. The Jungle Princess is kind of a forgettable movie, but it's probably best remembered today as being the film where L'Amour first rocked the sarong that would become her trademark look for most of her movies. 
Edith quickly gained a reputation as being the go-to designer for the studio's actresses. The other two designers on the lot, Travis Benton and Howard Greer, were known for kind of projecting their ideas onto the women that they were dressing without asking for their input into what they felt they were comfortable in or what they thought the character would look like. Edith, on the other hand, really valued the actress's input, and she understood that one must be comfortable in their clothes in order to be their best self, and actresses must be mentally aligned with their characters to sort of project that authenticity. Because she was now the number one in-demand designer, there was a lot of snide asides by Howard and Travis, who felt upstaged by this woman. Howard ended up leaving Paramount to open his own couture boutique, and Travis was promoted to head designer. Edith was not happy under him. He had an out-of-control drinking problem, and he became a really unpredictable boss. So he finally ended up getting uh, fired, and Edith became the first female studio head designer in the history of Hollywood. The 1940s saw her in overwhelming demand. She was the number one choice of designers for the stars such as Ginger Rogers and Betty Davis, Barbara Stanwyck, Grace Kelly, Audrey Hepburn, and Elizabeth Taylor. And as iconically and lavishly as she dressed these ladies, she herself stuck to a very strict working uniform. She wore two-piece suits, sensible heels, and large dark glasses that became her signature piece. The character of Edna Mode in Pixar's The Incredibles is actually a homage to Edith. The decade started off with a bang as she married the love of her life, Weird Eichen. She designed the first five road movies, a series of comedy vehicles starring Bob Hope, Bing Crosby, and Dorothy L'Amour. She also worked on Holiday Inn, The Lady Eve, Notorious, and Double Indemnity. The decade ended with a bang as well, as she was awarded her first Oscar for her work on The Heiress, a Montgomery Cliff and Olivia de Havilland 19th century black and white dramatic romance. And if the 1940s were great, the 50s were probably her peak. In that decade, she won five Oscars. So let's unpack those for just a second. So up until 1967, there was two Best Costume Design Awards given out every year, one for color movies and one for black and white. Edith's second Oscar was for her work on Samson and Delilah, a color romantic biblical drama starring the arguably most beautiful woman in the world ever, Hedy Lamarr. Her third Oscar was for All About Eve, easily one of the most iconic old Hollywood films ever, starring Betty Davis. And her fourth Oscar was for the black and white drama A Place in the Sun, starring Elizabeth Taylor and Montgomery Cliff. Her last two Oscars, though, have a bit of a backstory to them, so we kind of need to unpack them. Her fifth Oscar was awarded to her for the black and white Audrey Hepburn classic Roman Holiday. It was filmed in Rome, so Edith had to set up a temporary costume design department at the high fashion house Sorel Fontana. Audrey's character has a super limited wardrobe in the film. She's got a ball gown, a nightgown, some borrowed men's pajamas, a blouse and a skirt combo that she wears for most of the movie, and another dress at the end of the movie. So she's got two sets of sleeping clothes, a fancy dress, a less fancy dress, and the most iconic outfit of all was the Capri set. It was a skirt ballet flats, a shirt that had sleeves that were rolled up for most of the film, and this little scarf around her neck. This most iconic outfit was not designed by Head. It was designed by Sonia de Lenart, an Italian fashion designer who invented capri pants. But because Edith was in charge of the whole costume design department, and she did design the rest of the costumes, she was awarded the Oscar with no shared credit with Sonia, and apparently this was a fairly common practice back then. 
Her sixth Oscar, and the last one for the decade, uh, was for the black and white Audrey Hepburn and Humphrey Bogart classic Sabrina. That was a super stressful shooting experience because Humphrey Bogart was really pissed off that the leading role didn't go to his wife, Lauren Bacall, and he sulked his way throughout the entire film. If you watch it now, his super sourpuss attitude is super evident. It's even sour pussy by Bogart standards. And Audrey and her married co-star Bill Holden were having a torrid affair and things were just kind of tense in general. In terms of Audrey's costumes, they were broken up into the one outfit that she wears at the start of the film and the rest are Parisian couture, either worn during her Paris scenes or purchased there and worn back home in Long Island. Edith designed her first outfit and the rest of them were actually designed by Audrey's good friend and master couturier, Hubert de Givenchy. Givenchy came over to Hollywood for the filming and he had to use Edith's costume department to create the pieces. But this made... In the odd practice of that day, the outfits fall under the creative umbrella of Edith, although she had no say in the design. So Givenchy designed most of the outfits, and Audrey chose what she wanted to wear. Edith refused to share screen credit with Givenchy, so there's like a separate thing on the credits of like her gowns by Edith Head and certain gowns by Givenchy. But Edith alone received the credits and the Oscar for the film. I know right now she kind of seems like a limelight hogging non-team player, but think about the totally male-dominated space that she's working in and the insanely patriarchal society she's living in. Like, she has to look out for herself. No man's going to do it for her. The only movie that she didn't win an Oscar for that year that I feel like she totally deserved to win one for was the 1955 Hitchcock drama To Catch a Thief, like we talked about for a second at the beginning there. I mean, aside from being one of the best classic films ever made, Grace Kelly and Cary Grant on the French Riviera, yes, please, the costumes are just stunning. Edith called this movie the happiest experience she ever had in her career and the most elegant wardrobe she ever designed. She loved working with Grace Kelly because they were pretty close friends at this point. But unfortunately, jet-set French couture with a scene of Louis XIV's ball gowns just couldn't compete with America's oriental fetishism. And the color costume design that year went to the Hong Kong-based Love is a Many Splendid Thing, starring the very white Jennifer Jones as Chinese doctor Han Suyin in Chinese silk outfits, pulled back eyes, and grotesque black makeup. But back then, white actors parading around as Asian actors was totally acceptable, but today it's very hard to watch. Aside from the movies that she won awards for during this decade, she also designed Gloria Swanson's outfits in Sunset Boulevard, the American outfits for the Audrey Hepburn and Fred Astaire musical romance Funny Face. Givenchy again did all of her Parisian wardrobe. Grace Kelly's wardrobe for Rear Window, Rosemary Clooney and Danny Kaye's wardrobe in White Christmas, Doris Day's outfits in The Man That Knew Too Much, Marlita Dietrich's couture for Witness for the Prosecution. Apparently this was the fitting that held the record for being the longest one. Marlena had to stand for eight hours and 10 minutes to get fitted for her suit. And most challenging of all during that decade was that Edith had to design for Kim Novak during Vertigo. As you remember, Kim Novak played two different people. So Edith had to create two completely different wardrobes, each aligned with different sides of Kim Novak's personality. Edith was working on upwards of 50 films a year at this point and clocking in 16-hour days. When she wasn't working, though, her and Weird were very popular dinner party guests among Hollywood elite, and much of their free time was taken up with hosting at their Coldwater Canyon mansion. Weird was a designer and an architect, and they would joke that it never failed as soon as they walked into a party, 
especially one where they didn't know a lot of the people, the women would always make a beeline to Edith asking her for fashion advice, and the men would always clamber around Weard with questions like what to do with their latest vacation villa. In 1950, Edith stepped in front of the camera for a documentary short called The Costume Designer, and you can still find this on YouTube. Knowing how 16th century Spanish nobles or Victorian blacksmiths or ancient Chinese peasants dressed, all this information was only available via books, and Edith had to spend massive amounts of time in Paramount's studio library researching for the thousands and thousands of costumes that she was going to design. The key word for costume design is appropriate, not so much in terms of sexiness, but more in terms of the historical and geographic and dramatic attributes. Designing one costume or a hundred in a movie meant understanding the historical period, the geography, the climate-related implications of the location, and the sprinkling of Hollywood drama needed to make the costumes realistic, but also interesting enough to notice, but not overwhelming enough to overshadow the star or the action. So even if an outfit is supposed to catch the viewer's eye, it should only do so at first, then you refocus on the actress. When Edith designed what would become Mae West's trademark gay 90s attire in She Done Him Wrong, with the tight corsets and the bustles and the giant picture box hats, she crafted these outfits in such a way that you spend the first few seconds ogling Mae's body and her couture and her diamonds, then you shift to her dialogue and her acting. And that was the genius of Edith. She made the clothes noticeable, but only momentarily and in a manner that augmented the actor, but did not detract from them. So how does a costume go from concept to reality? Well, the first step was that Edith was assigned to a movie. Then there was something called a personality test, especially for new actors. They would be filmed talking and walking and just kind of casually interacting with someone behind the camera. And this would allow Edith to get a feel for the person behind the character and to begin to ponder what would look natural with their body type and their personality. Audrey Hepburn's personality test for Roman Holiday, her breakout movie and first Academy Award, has her walking across a Spartan room in a linen sleeveless top and slacks with her signature short hair. She sits down in a chair and in her wispy darling voice answers an off-camera questions about what she did during the war in Europe. And she's absolutely charming as she softly recalls being a ballet dancer and holding secret performances to raise money for the resistance. So there's this personality test, and then Edith would sit down with the director, the producer, the writers, the art directors, and the cameraman, and if it was a color movie, there would be a special color coordinator as well. So going over the scenes that she needed to design for, Edith also wanted to consider a character's thoughts, their motivations, their surroundings, and how the studio wanted the audience to view the character in that moment and what was or was about to happen to the character. What was the character's age, their gender, their build, their social status, level of wealth? What was the season and the temperature? Was the character mad? Would that impact the dress she picked out? Who was she mad at? Was it her boyfriend? Would she be dressing for revenge? Would she be dressing so angry, sexy that the audience would become unsympathetic to her? Would she dress dark and depressed? Would this make the viewers feel bad for her? All this minutia had to be accounted for before any costume could start to be even assembled. Then the sketches had to be approved by the team that she met with during the initial concept stage. Did the producer feel they were appropriate? Did the director, how did the cameraman feel that they would shoot? What did the color coordinator think about them? And if everyone on the team gave their okay, they would all sign their name on the back of a sketch. Then Edith would include a cost breakdown, everything from the cloth to the labor, the jewels, hats, shoes, stockings, everything. The costume sketch would then go to the wardrobe department for creation. The completion of a dress didn't mean the completion of her work. During shooting, especially for the leading actors and actresses, Edith would usually be on set, making sure that the clothes looked right, that they hung properly, that headpieces were at the right angle, and basically guarding over each of her creations like a mother hen. Designing costumes for movies is deceptively hard work. 
By the 1960s, Edith Head was one of the few Hollywood costume designers whose name was known outside the studio compound, and as such, she was a popular guest on TV and radio shows, even hosting her own fashion-focused radio program. In one episode, she discussed the importance of finding your type when it came to dressing best for your body. For women, she said there were three basic types, and this is a direct quote, the feminine pretty type like Audrey Hepburn, the vigorous energetic type like Doris Day, or the more sophisticated glamorous type like Elizabeth Taylor. In men, there are also three basic types, the quiet intellectual type like Jimmy Stewart, the athletic type like Burt Lancaster, and the romantic or sophisticated type like Cary Grant. I can't help but think that a lot of people across the country listened to that and were like, mm, I don't remotely resemble any of these people. Edith's seventh Oscar would not be until the 1961 black and white comedy, The Facts of Life, starring Bob Hope and Lucille Ball. In 1967, she left Paramount and she moved to Universal, where she stayed until her death. And it was here that she got her final Oscar for her work on the Paul Newman and Robert Redford 1974 crime caper, The Sting. One of the other highlights of the 70s was that she was asked by the Coast Guard to design a uniform for the increasing amount of female cadets that they had signing up. Her final assignment would be on the black-and-white 1982 neo-noir comedy Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, starring Steve Martin. Edith was especially chosen as the designer because of her copious design experience in the 1940s, which is when this movie was supposed to take place. Edith passed away four days before her 84th birthday, on October 24, 1981, from complications relating to the incurable bone marrow disease myelofibrosis. Today, you can visit her star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame or pick up a copy of her book, How to Dress for Success. My sources today were Wikipedia, the Edith Head website, and the Oscars website. Thank you so much for joining me for our birthday celebration of Edith Head. Please join me tomorrow when we celebrate the birth and life of civil rights activist James Shack Daddy Orange. See you then. Thank you.